again, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show. My name is Jeff Kwame, your host and executive director of the Connecticut Certification Board. This podcast comes to you thanks to the generosity of our friends at Mountainside Treatment Center up in Canyon, Connecticut, where they provide individualized clinical, medical, and wellness services to those struggling with substance use and mental health disorders. Each treatment plan is structured through collaboration with the client, their family, and healthcare professionals to offer every client their best chance at long-term recovery. Mountainside is proud to be the only rehabilitation center in the state to be accredited by both CARF International and the Joint Commission. They are currently recruiting passionate and talented individuals in Connecticut and New York locations, and every employee, regardless of position, plays a role in improving the lives of clients and their families. If you're interested in joining the Mountainside team, please visit mountainside.com forward slash careers. And on behalf of the board of directors and the staff of the CCB, I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Scope of Practice. Faces and Voices of Recovery is dedicated to organizing and mobilizing the over 23 million Americans in recovery from addiction to alcohol and other drugs, our families, friends, and allies into a recovery community organization and networks to promote the right and resources to recover through advocacy, education, and demonstrating the power and the proof of long-term recovery. Changing the way addiction and recovery are understood and embraced through advocacy, education, and leadership is their mission. In early October this year, they will celebrate their 20th anniversary with a Recovery Leadership Summit in St. Paul, Minnesota. And joining us today are Faces and Voices Chief Executive Officer Patty McCarthy and Board President David Mineta. Prior to board, uh, joining Faces and Voices, Patty was a senior associate with the Center for Social Innovation, where she served as deputy director of SAMHSA's Brass Tax Initiative. She served for a decade as the director of Friends of Recovery Vermont, a statewide recovery community organization conducting training, advocacy, and public awareness activities. She holds a master's degree in community counseling and a bachelor's degree in business administration, and has been in long-term recovery from alcohol and drug addiction since 1989. In addition to being the president uh, of the board for Faces and Voices, David Mineta has been the president and CEO of Momentum for Mental Health in San Jose since the August of 2015. From 2010 to 2015, Mr. Mineta served as presidential appointee in the position of deputy director of demand reduction for the Office of National Drug Control Policy for the White House Drug Policy Office. In 1996, he worked with Asian American Recovery Services and was named deputy director in 2007. He served twice as board president for the Jefferson Union High School District Board of Trustees. Mineta received a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from the University of California, Berkeley, and a Master of Social Work from San Jose State University. Whew, that was a lot to say. <laughs> Welcome to both of you, and thanks for spending the time with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Jeff. This is great. Very excited about this. Yes, thank you. Great to be here. So I'd like to begin with a snapshot of the organization, you know, and we'll expand upon this in a few minutes, but can you give our listeners kind of the big picture of Faces and Voices of Recovery? Absolutely. I'll jump in. It's uh, the well, big picture. We're a grassroots national advocacy and education organization, and we're based in Washington, D.C. And our D.C. presence, uh, our connections with Congress, federal agencies is really stronger than ever. We've had an extensive network of followers, members, and affiliates across the nation and internationally. And our primary purpose is to put, just as our name implies, put a face and a voice on recovery. And what that really means is 
real people, real stories, real family members getting involved in um, advocacy and breaking the stigma of addiction and helping them have a voice in policy issues in their own communities, on their own, on the state level and on the federal level. So we're really uh, promoting civic engagement. And as we like to say, we are a constituency of consequence. I like that. I have to write that down. Yeah. David, anything to add? What brings what brought you to Faces and Voices? Uh Patty. Um now I I, I one was my work uh while in the federal government, while at um the White House Drug Policy Office, we worked uh closely with Faces and Voices um you know on recovery issues. And um, you know, during the Obama administration, it was the first presidential administration that added recovery. Uh, as part of the the um, national strategy, and you know, so groups like Faces of Voices, um, Collegiate Recovery, um, the um, High School Recovery Association, the the National Association Recovery Housing Association, you know, a lot of the partners came forward. But really, it was Faces and Voices to me that we worked with most, you know, most closely. I think from my perspective, I see faces and voices as an overarching uh, recovery advocacy organization and things like collegiate recovery. And there's the SAFE project in D.C. now, all fit different roles in the system, so to speak. But I see faces and voices as much more of a big picture um, uh, umbrella organization that does a a lot of different things and, and not necessarily one little specialty like collegiate recovery and things like that. Right. That's absolutely. Right. I mean, you know, and we, I, I, and sorry, Pat, I just felt like, and, you know, the face and voice was almost like the, the, the umbrella group um, and, you know, organizer and, and, um, you know, of sort of the grassroots recovery movement, if you will. And, um, so it's great to actually have a chance to be on the board and now, you know, be the chair of the board. You know, it feels like such a privilege, especially right now. Yeah, I wanted to follow up with what you mentioned about those other uh, national organizations. Really, we work very closely with them, um, the National Alliance for Recovery Residences, Association of Recovery High School or Recovery Schools, the high schools. Uh, higher ed, alternative peer groups, all because we believe that this national infrastructure is so important to helping people find recovery and maintain recovery at whatever entry point they they come into. So it's so important to to kind of think about it as an infrastructure. And uh, we we feel privileged to be able to work and support all of those those groups as well. And I think that level of unity so to speak, is really important for people that are accessing services because when we went back to when we first started having the no wrong door, somebody goes in someplace to seek recovery and if this isn't the place, well, I know people who do beat your needs and we can help and we can get you here and and that there really is uh, camaraderie in the field amongst people that want to see people do find recovery and and not just find recovery, but, but have success in recovery. And I got to bring up my friend, Ben Baker, who just won an NBA title and put a heck of a face on recovery when he hoisted that trophy as a coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. 
So going back to the year 2000, and it, to me, that still seems like yesterday, but I'm getting old. So time is, I look at time differently. <laughs> um, can you talk about the history of the organization and, and some of the development, what's going on up till now? Sure. Well, you know, Faces and Voices really started as, as a campaign. Um, didn't know back then that it would form, become an organization that it is today. But it was really a campaign to put a face and a voice on recovery. It really it resulted from more than two years of work with, with what was known as the Alliance Project back then. And a number of other organizations sponsored and supported all of the, the work at the early days of the organizing. Um, really, the goals were to celebrate and honor recovery in all its diversity and to help build the advocacy skills of just like other advocacy movements that we've seen, um, you know, civil rights and, and, and marriage equality and all of the movements that have been successful. And we've been able to build on those, you know, learn from them. And, and really just um, we wanted to develop leadership. And I say we because I feel so involved with it from back then, but I wasn't there. <laughs> there are, I stand on the, sh the shoulders of giants who came before me and, and really led the way. But early on, it was about um, campaigns such as Recovery Voices Count, where we focus on voter education and registration and voter education, um, or um, and then the Recovery Bill of Rights. Uh, we developed that to give a sense of this is a rights issue that people deserve the right to adequate healthcare and treatment and to live with dignity and without shame. We also, you know, we developed the recovery advocacy toolkit, and then we we trained tens of thousands of people in recovery messaging through the Our Stories Have Power recovery messaging trainings. Uh, we went on. This really laid that foundation for the first ten years, and it and it really has gotten us to where we are now. But our advocacy and grassroots organizing has been instrumental in passing landmark legislation, such as the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act in two thousand and eight. Or the and the uh, support support act in 2018, and the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act in 2016. So we've fought some really hard battles, such as protecting the rights of right to privacy for individuals mm -hmm. with substance use disorders. And um, you know, the key is to eliminate that stigma and ensure that patients have access to the care that they need. So we've, we, you know, we've really, um, from those early organizing days, learned a lot and have been pretty powerful in having a voice in our, um, in policy, mostly at the federal level for Faces and Voices, but our affiliates are, are doing the same thing in this model in their own states. It, it, it's Faces and Voices has become, and I'm going to say powerful organization, and I don't mean you know, in a, in a kind of an obnoxious sense of power, but the fact your ability to adapt and grow. Now you're the one teaching other organizations, you know, how to follow your lead or how to develop their own system. You were creating leaders, I think, which is really important. So when you started out kind of following what they were doing here and in, in this group uh, with some of the civil rights groups and saying, this is what we need to do. Now you're the one that's kind of the model that people are following. So the, it comes full circle. And it's incredibly important right now with with the, the civil rights issues that can, we continue to battle and fight for uh, 
for equal access and equal treatment under the law for everybody. Absolutely. Exactly. You, you know, so sorry, Patty. I, I think um, in some ways to me, I think Faces and Voices, both the history of the organization kind of mirror in some way, you know, in some ways, just the overall movement over the last, the recovery movement, the grassroots movement in, in, in some ways. And I, I have to say, I, I sort of became involved at a, you know, at a later date, um, you know, like Patty in 2000, I think I was 10 years old. Um, and um, uh, uh, oh, I wish, I wish. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's sort of the ebbs and flows. And through that time, you know, as Patty listed all that legislation, both, you know, state and national legislation, again, that, that movement from the grassroots just kept, kept going, right? But I really think that, it, it, you know, the, it's so apt of the name of Faces and Voices of Recovery, because that to me has been that sort of pinpoint of being able to train really thousands of people uh, to tell their recovery story. It puts a local regional face on what recovery looks like. It's, it's, it's us. It's you know, it's our family members, it's our neighbors, it's our, you know, ch church or congregant members, it's uh, our elected officials, it's, uh, you know, everyone in our community. And that to me is so, is sort of in some ways the beauty of this movement over that time. Um, so I know, Jeff, you're going to talk about the, the anniversary and, and, and all. I, it's so remarkable to be at this point. I mean, it's such a privilege to be here right now. I think that's a perfect segue to kind of my next comment or question is, you know, one thing I've learned, I've been in the field for over 30 years. I started out as a, you know, eight-year-old. Simply put, what I, I see is things change often and they change rapidly and the maintain effectiveness, an organization has to be foresighted, has to be what's called a learning organization, adaptable and flexible. Faces and Voices is really the picture of that adaptability and flexibility because things changed over the years and Faces and Voices has been able to stay right on top of it and be responsive to all of those changes. Can you talk about the ability of the organization to be flexible and change like that? I think a lot of the key to that is relationships and it's about relational organizing. It's, it's knowing who um, we need to work with. And um, I, I like, I often like to talk about the phrase of rise, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And it's really about, it's not just faces and voices. It's all these other organizations on the ground level, there are boots on the ground and we need to, lead in, in a servant leadership model. And so that keeps us flexible. It keeps us responsive. We hear what's happening and we are able to, you know, plan and be, have the foresight to know what to expect. And also, you know, that helps us when we're working with the federal agencies like ONDCP and SAMHSA and Congress, because we can predict what's, you know, how to, how to get um, the attention of policymakers. And it's, it's all about, um, being uh, resilient, and I think that's the theme, you know, really is 20 years later, we're resilient. We're able to bounce back from some, you know, difficult times over the years. 
but because we're able to also be innovative. I think um, we've in, in, it, it, we've launched some really cool programs through Faces and Voices. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about ARCO a little bit and, and the RCOs, but we also have responded to the need for uh, data and research by launching a data platform. We've accredited, uh, we created a, an accreditation model for peer recovery support programs, and we created our own training institute. So we're now relevant in many, many states where we're working on the state level so that we can bring that, um, you know, the innovation and what we're hearing, we can bring it all together in our advocacy role. And I love hearing that because personally, I, I, a couple of years ago, I finished a graduate program in nonprofit leadership. And when and some of the things that we talked about and that we learned were certainly servant leadership and, and using data to so you can respond to changes as opposed to react uh, and, and make the most of those changes. And I really think that Face and Voices is kind of a model of an organization that's done that. You mentioned the recovery community organizations. Is that something most of my listeners would really, really be uh, much more familiar with, with CCAR here in Connecticut and Face and Voices Recovery, and there's more in Massachusetts and all over the country. Um, can you talk about uh, a little bit about the Association of Recovery Community Organizations, the ARCO, in support of those RCOs? Sure. Um, well, let's start with the definition of an RCO. So your listeners know what we're talking about. Uh, An RCO is a nonprofit grassroots organization led and governed by the recovery community, and they're doing several things. So the core principles of what they do are putting a face and a voice on recovery, so public awareness. They're doing uh, community outreach and education, so some training, naloxone training, Good Samaritan laws, ban the box, all those things that are important in the community. They work on those issues as well. But they are all, they're also, majority of them are operating recovery community centers where people come together, they get the support they need, and they uh, find recovery support services like peer recovery coaching. Mm-hmm. So, mention, you know, you've mentioned CCAR, which is uh, a, an excellent example and one of the earliest models that, that um, we looked at and that really came out of the uh, initial formation of uh, the, the early advocacy movement um, where where there's a, a network of our community centers throughout the state of Connecticut, all led by that one organization. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is that they're, um, they are community-based. They're run by, they're delivered by people in recovery. They're non-clinical services, um, that they're a great addition to that uh, continuum of care. So they they work closely with treatment agencies or drug courts or the hospitals um, to provide that peer support. I think that's really important um, that it's a distinction between the the clinical and treatment model versus the the recovery support model. And just we have over 150 organizations around the country that are part of the association, and it's growing all the time. There are such great interest going on right now in states around the country to identify RCOs and or to form new ones. And so what we do is we we provide them with that networking opportunity, a voice uh, in policy for those RCOs and training and, and gatherings and networking and conferences. So um, we're really excited about it. It's, it started in 2012 and there was a lot of vision uh, for our, my predecessors to uh, to come 
to, to establish that uh, association. David, can you talk about the role of the board in guiding the direction? You talked about how, what an honor it is to serve and what's the role in guiding the direction of the organization? I hope my board members are listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one, it, it is such an honor again to be on on the Faces and Voices board. As Patty said earlier, you know, really, um, you know, standing, you know, on the shoulders of giants in in the recovery movement. I mean, you look at the the, the list of the 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 board members, and um, you know, these are folks that have led their way, uh, led the recovery movement in in not just you know, in their own communities, but then nationally. Uh, and so it's, um, you know, I remember traveling around the country between 2010 and 2015, advancing, obviously, at the time, President Obama's um, national strategy uh, on um, drug policy. And again, including recovery for the very first time, we got to go to all these recovery, you know, Jeff, when I met you and, and, but just meeting all these recovery leaders around the country. And then to find out many of them were on the board of faces and voices. It's like, wow, wow, that's, that's some, that's some group there. And so when I um, was asked about, you know, joining the board, I just thought, you know, I had one of those moments where I thought this is, you know, this is a big deal. That's a big deal. And to be on the board at the 20th anniversary uh, is even probably, you know, such a privilege because I think it's one, it's a look back, but next it's the look forward over the next 20 years. What, what track are we laying down over the next 20 years? And, and, you know, the board, because of that responsiveness, as you asked, you talked about before, um, as opposed to being reactive, it's it's key to staying connected to the community, to the movement itself, to the grassroots, and um, in some ways, I think the role of the board is just to stay connected uh, and to be responsive to that that grassroots movement. Uh, it takes care of itself, actually, um, the movement itself. Um, With board members from all over the country, you get <clears throat> excuse me different voices because they hear from people in their area. Absolutely about what's going on and can bring it back to the national picture. And others say, well, we're experiencing that too, or we haven't thought of that. And I think that that provides a unique style of leadership. Yeah. I mean, right now, I mean, on the current board, we have, uh, you know, as Patty, you know, sort of reminds me, we have a board member um, for the first time in a very long time from the great North Northwest. Um, we have board member from uh, New Mexico Uh you know, it, so it's, you know, it's, it's pretty good, uh, you know, spread as far as the board and where we, where we come from, you know, around the country. And again, that is so important. Uh, the recovery movement's the biggest boat, biggest umbrella I know of. And it's, it's the beauty of the movement, you know, it, it includes it everyone. Every, it's got, it's got, every, you know, every walk of life. yeah, every somebody is, you know, under the umbrella. Um, and you know, that's what makes it feel so good. Uh, let's jump into the Leadership Summit in October. Can you talk just first about the significance of the host city of St. Paul? Absolutely. This is really exciting to me because it was in 2001, October 5th through the 7th, when about 200 
recovery advocates got together. They came together there in St. Paul, Minnesota, because there was such um, a strong voice and leadership from our federal, our Congress, our members of Congress in Minnesota. And so um, Senator, the late Senator Paul Wellstone, who is quoted as saying, this is the beginning of the civil rights movement. Um, he had that he 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 had the keynote address at that summit, One and over the three, yeah, and over those three days, the real um, goal was to come away with a unifying message, messages for the recovery community, and to look at you know what um, ending discrimination and uh, unite or supporting families and children, and then also. Uh, the late Congressman Jim Ramstead, who said, we're in this together. Uh, he used his own story of recovery and addiction and recovery to, to put a face on a voice in recovery. And that was powerful. And these are two, uh, you know, prominent elected officials from the state of Minnesota. So we're going back to our roots and this summit will have Many people who were there at that summit in 2001, we have a legacy panel. Um, we are going to hear from Bill White, um, the, the history of the recovery advocacy movement. And we're going to hear from new leaders because 20 years later, there's a whole new generation of leaders that will have a role in the summit. And, and that's what, like you mentioned earlier, it's leadership development. It's, it's finding a, a significant role for people from, uh, you know, all diverse communities and pathways of recovery that was intentional in the original summit was to, to include people in medication assisted recovery, um, faith-based recovery and people of diverse, uh, backgrounds, race, ethnicity, and, and, and we now more than ever need to take a look back and say, what could we do better? Uh, what can we do to make sure that we're not in excluding people, particularly our, our uh, Black, Indigenous people of color who have been disproportionately affected, but have not had uh, as much leadership that we'd like in this movement. And, it, and it's not that there aren't wonderful, amazing leaders that have been involved with Faces and Voices. It's just that we need to be more intentional. So this summit is going to be a, a combination of Looking where, looking at where we've been, but looking where we're going in the next twenty years. So um, it's going to be monumental. It's going to be another historic event. It's uh, going back to St. Paul. I think provides also for for the people that are returning that were there at the original. Um, a, a kind of a spiritual small s moment uh, of that belonging and and being back in that where it all started. And, and, and Senator Wellstone, one of my heroes, because he was somebody who walked the, you know, he walked the walk. He didn't just talk it. Um, you know, I just think it's fantastic going to, to St. Paul. What can attendees expect from the overall program? Oh, I think I, I mentioned a few things. Just yes, that there, will be. <laughs> there are already, uh, there are plans for um, like I mentioned, uh, well, William Cope Moyers will be there. It's his home city right there in St. Paul. 
He uh, he will be our MC for the America Honors Recovery Evening Event. It's a our annual uh, dinner and gala that we celebrate and present awards for the uh, advocacy, outstanding advocates around the, the nation. So there will be some an award ceremony, a wonderful dinner. The con- the conference itself starts on Sunday with a, what we call a Cleveland dinner. So that's a Sunday evening. Uh, we have workshops and plenary sessions with keynotes uh, from the federal government, as well as, like I said, Bill White. And and I we will have a panel of, of folks who were there at that, that original summit. And then we really want to look at... Um, We'll, we're, we have a lot of different new people, new faces that will be able to uh, spotlight and, and lift up the amazing work that they're doing. What's the best way for those that are interested to get more information or to register? Well, I'd love for folks to visit our website. Uh, it's facesandvoicesofrecovery.org. And on that website, you can look at events and visit the Recovery Leadership Summit uh, website. There's a separate uh, web page that has all the information. We are still uh, encouraging uh, guests to register. Come on out to uh, St. Paul if you would like to have an exhibit table, be a sponsor, buy a table. Uh, this is a great time to celebrate. And, and uh, we will be just back in D.C. next year. Um, but we felt like this was an important time to be back in, in St. Paul for our 20 year anniversary. And it shouldn't be too cold. <laughs> Last time I was in Minneapolis was November and it was freezing. <laughs> and it's a beautiful cities to visit as well. So I think it's a great going to be a great event. Before we finish, is there anything that either of you would like to add? You know, if, if I just could pick up a thread of something that, that Patty had said in talking about Senator Wellstone and Congressman Ramstead, uh, you know, one thing of note is that, uh, you know, these were elected officials uh, who are from different parties um, that, you know, again, it just it just everybody's under the umbrella and it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Jeff, this is for you, whether you're a Red Sox or Yankees fan. It it doesn't matter if um, you know. I mean, you know. I mean, it matters in the sense that yeah, everyone's <laughs> represented, but that you know, there's there's higher purpose. There's something that bonds uh, the community um, other than those those affiliations. And purpose is, you know, is clear. Uh, the compass points north on this, and it is um, again at this particular time uh, of division and all. You know, the recovery movement uh, binds people together. Uh, And I think that one of the things you mentioned that there is a lot of bipartisanship around this. I remember meeting um, with Congresswoman Delora's staff, who's from Connecticut, walking out of her office. She was the at the time she was the ranking Democrat on appropriations and walking out of her office and having Congressman Hal Rogers staff, who was the uh, chair of that committee, pulling us in and saying, Hey, you know, we run on this too. And it, it was saying that we're, what we see on TV is politics and what we see often smaller is leadership. And that's what I would call leadership. And Those I'd are like great to, examples. Yep. Yep. Thanks. Sorry. Yep. No, I, I wanted to close with just that everyone belongs in this movement. And that what I mean is this isn't just people in recovery. 
And when we talk about people in recovery, we know that they, everyone has people that care about them. So their family members, you know, their friends, their coworkers, um, and that, and all of the people in the community that are our allies, they care about people. They want to see people get well. They celebrate milestones in people's recovery. Um, and it's all path, all stages of recovery. We're talking about, you know, we, we want to encourage people who are, you know, still using or still active to, to, to get involved because there's a whole peer network out there who can support you no matter where you are in your, uh, in your path, um, that there's a lot of work that we can do together uh, to prevent further harm and, and to prevent the loss of lives. And so this, our organization is a big tent. It is a big, is it is an umbrella. It is, uh, we welcome everyone. And um, there's ways you can get involved from your home, doing um, volunteering. Uh, we're always looking for interns and we have ways for organizations to become affiliates. But, you know, we're, we're, we're thriving, we're, we're growing, and, and we're um, really excited about the, the next 20 years. I think it's exciting that you Faces and Voices and the recovery movement starts with the most basic, the most important of saving lives, mm-hmm. all the way up to building leaders, you know, planting a seed that, of a tree that we're not going to be able to sit under. And I think that's really important. Sure is. So thank you very much for spending the time with us, David. Thank you for getting up early. <laughs> no, this is great. Thank you, Jeff, for, uh, for, for this is, I have to say, this is such an honor too, because this is the first podcast I've ever been on. I mean, really? This is, yeah, this, this is, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tickled, man. I would have w- woken up at 5 a.m. This is awesome. Don't, Thank you. Don't tell me that because I may need you in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure I let you sleep in, Patty, if I need <laughs> But thank you both very much. I'm honored that you agreed to join us uh, to talk about what's going on with Faces and Voices. Uh, and it was really fun for me to, to be a part of this. That's going to do it for this episode of Scope of Practice. Again, I'd like to thank both Patty McCarthy and David Mineta from Faces and Voices of Recovery for taking time out of their busy schedules to join us. And I hope that you can support their work regardless of where you are in, in the country. Uh, we again extend our gratitude to Mount Side Treatment Center for their generous support. And we here at the Connecticut Certification Board appreciate everyone who's listening. Please don't forget to follow us on Podbean or you can hear us on iTunes, Amazon, or your favorite podcast application. And we'll catch you next time, everybody. 